For the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast, we pick a few stories we covered for you. Today, it's a Surrey City Councillor's reaction to Mayor Doug McCallum over a charge of public mischief, along with a conversation with a man who caught someone in the middle of stealing the catalytic converter on his truck, and the latest on Canada's next big space mission. Let's listen in. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum was charged with public mischief. Doug McCallum told police in September that his foot had been run over by a car outside a city grocery store. A special prosecutor was brought in to ensure there was no perceived conflict of interest, and they approved the charge. According to the Criminal Code of Canada, public mischief involves falsely reporting crimes to a police officer. I want to bring in my next guest now, Brenda Locke. She's a Surrey City Councillor. Good morning, Brenda. Good morning, Raji. So what is your reaction to the charges against Mayor McCallum? Well, I think it's uh, incredibly disappointing for our city. It's embarrassing. And uh, quite frankly, uh, it's such a breach of the public trust that uh, uh, Mr. McCallum has lost moral authority to govern and, and he should he should step down. So why would you like to see him step down at this time? You know, um, This mayor has bullied people along the way. We all have seen that. This is, there is a victim here. There is a a senior woman who was just there to do her democratic right and duty. And uh, she became the center of this at one point and had no impact on it. Mr. McCallum should have never, ever done that. That is not within his oath of office to to um, impinge on a on an innocent uh, person, and that's what he decided to do. He decided to create a story, and um, allegedly, as the uh, I, I know, this still has to go to trial, but um, the prosecution has uh, found him to be in breach. So. Yes, as you mentioned, it still has to go to trial. But were you surprised to hear that the special prosecutor uh, had approved the charge? Um, no, I wasn't, actually. Uh, I have seen this mayor uh, bully his way through and interfere in normal processes before. He did that with the uh, the issue around Uber. And he instructed, uh, at that time, he instructed bylaws to act inappropriately. Um, so, no, this doesn't, this is not out of the ordinary for this mayor to, to uh, do this kind of uh, bullying tactic. And what are you hearing from your colleagues and constituents? Well, certainly from the public, and I have heard from a lot of, of uh, members of the public, they are angry, they are disappointed, but you know the word I hear most is embarrassed. This mayor has put such a shadow on this city once again, and so they're, they're pretty embarrassed by his behavior. You mentioned bullying. Uh, for people in Metro Vancouver who are not that familiar with what's happening in, in Surrey, what do you mean by that? Well, um, Mayor McCallum, uh, instead of just setting policy directive, he gets involved, he he initiates um, uh, actions, he he acts as though he is the, the king of the kingdom, and that isn't how this goes. He should be just setting policy. He had no business. Uh, interfering with a, a duly um, appropriated policy or um, 
Elections BC petition. He had no business interfering in that, but he sees that as his business. And so, um, according to uh, the special prosecutor, that that is why these charges were laid. Brenda, you also said that constituents feel embarrassed. Can you elaborate on that? What do you mean by embarrassed? Well, you know, if you look at, um, especially over the last number of months, look at the mayor of Abbotsford, of Merritt, of of um, Princeton. These are these are mayors that are standing up for their their city. They're doing the right thing at the right time. In Surrey, we have a mayor that's charged with mischief. Uh, it's embarrassing to Surrey. Surrey is the second largest, soon to be the largest city in in British Columbia. We should be way beyond this. So we've heard that uh, Mayor McCallum has hired his counsel. Um, now, he's not due in courts until the end of January, and some are saying that he shouldn't step down until that, until the matter goes through the courts. What is your opinion on that? No, I think I think the mayor needs to to step aside. He needs to let this happen. You know, he's also the chair of the police board. If you think about it, if this was a constable even, a police constable, they would not be doing their job. They would be given desk duty at the very at the very least. So for this mayor to uh, to carry on with with a criminal charge in front of him, I think it's highly inappropriate. So there's this criminal charge uh, before him, and you mentioned that perceived conflict of interest with his involvement with the police board. Uh, do you think that he will choose to step down at this time? Um, w- looking at the behavior of the mayor in the past, I don't. Um, certainly we'll be asking for that. I will be um, asking that he uh, he do that in a public way. Um, but I I just, uh, just seeing the behavior of this mayor in the past, it's very unlikely. And what do you think at a time like this, uh, the residents of Surrey need? The, the, I think the, the residents of Surrey need an apology, first of all, from this mayor. Um, I think they, they need for him to, uh, to come clean. And I think the other members that are supporting him need to also recognize that there is a very bad shadow on our city right now because of the uh, the actions of this mayor, and they need to do the right thing. How does Surrey come back from uh, this charge, even if he is found uh, not guilty? Well, if he's found not guilty, um, I think there's still there's still a shadow on the city, and I think this will impact him moving forward, and especially into the election. Uh, the election is only what about ten months away now, and and once uh, whatever happens happens, it will only be months before the election. I think this will carry with him right through to the election, and with all four members uh, that are supporting him. For the members that are supporting him, uh, what is what are their thoughts around that, around supporting him through this? You know, I wish I knew. I um, I don't know why they uh, would have that uh, kind of blind faith in um, in this action. I think it's the right thing to do to step down. 
um, just out of respect for the office. We have an oath of office that we take as elected officials, and it's to do the right thing for the residents and the city above our own. Um, and uh, I think it's time that the uh, the mayor did the right thing. Brenda, you sound frustrated. It's very frustrating. It's been actually three years and two months of frustration working uh, on this council with this mayor. And um, and I feel for the residents. Um, I hear from them every single day. And uh, the residents as well are frustrated, and I'm here to represent them. Brenda Locke, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts this morning. Thank you very much. heard about how catalytic converters are being stolen in Metro Vancouver at an alarming rate. This is happening so much and they're being sold to scrap dealers because of their precious metals. Things like platinum, palladium, and especially rhodium. Well, Mitch Lustig in Abbotsford caught someone trying to steal his truck's catalytic converter in the middle of the theft. And we've got him on the line to tell us that story. Good morning, Mitch. Good morning. How are you guys? We're doing great over here. Mitch, can you walk me through what happened? Happily. So I went for a little bit of a drink with my buddy at his place and waited a little bit after and walked out to my truck, looking at my truck and go, oh, I don't remember a garbage bag being underneath my truck as I'm walking up to it. Wow. Look a little closer and like, oh, it's a moving garbage bag. Oh, that's not a garbage bag. That's a guy underneath my truck. So he was actually, I'm pretty sure he was either sitting or kneeling underneath my truck, being a lifted truck that's higher up in the air, easier to access it, of course. And here the guy was just working away at it. Wow. So I didn't quite know what to do. Didn't really want to confront him because you can never really trust these kind of people. You never know what they're going to do or what they have with them. So I snuck up and unlocked my truck jumped in it and immediately redlined the engine with it revving and it made a lot of noise. Um, and there were flashes. I think he, he did a pretty good number on the, on the exhaust and oh. he hightailed it out of there. That's for sure. Um, wow. I was quite shocked. And then the next day I was, I was upset. Didn't really want to do too much. The next day I look at my exhaust and his saw blade still sticking out of it. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So had you heard of catalytic converter theft being a thing? I have, yes. And, it, and to be honest, it is quite upsetting for me to know about that as well. Yeah. You mentioned that your car, your your truck is lifted. Correct. So yes. did that make it an easier target, do you think? I can almost guarantee it did. Um, being way easier to access versus some of these lower cars um, that you actually have to crawl underneath. Mine, again, the guy was basically sitting up right underneath my truck. Wow. Wow. So when you when you realized it was a person and not a garbage bag, were you certain that that's what was happening, that they were going after your converter? I was almost 99% sure. He was going, at least he was going after something underneath my truck. Um, and up in that area, he was either going to be trying to dig for my battery or he was going for my um, my cat. So I didn't really want him to get away with it. So I figured give him a pretty good little fright. I got to ask you how you were feeling during this whole thing. To be honest, I was I was ticked off. I was I was fairly pissed, to be honest. Um, it just it's it's really upsetting for almost everybody because well we everyone works really hard for their items and everyone could potentially be struggling, especially with COVID. And here's a huge hit like this that we're 
that could potentially ruin somebody. I mean, thankfully for me, I'm mechanically inclined, so I managed to fix it with a matter of minutes. But for other people, they could be out of a vehicle for who knows. Yeah, for sure. How bad were the damages to your truck? The damage to my truck was rather minimal. He was cutting the joint, okay. which, um, which was it's a softer area of the muffler and catalytic converter area or the exhaust, my bad. Um, which I guess that's why he was cutting it there, being he was using a handsaw, too, or a blade. Um, I just uh, fixed it up in, again, a matter of minutes. I think the damage cost me maybe 20 bucks. Okay, so it's very lucky of you. Are you more cautious now when you park your truck outside? I am, yes, and I even wrap my uh, my muffler and my, um, my catalytic converter up in some more metal to give uh-huh. it a little more of a light deterrent, not really a proper deterrent. Okay. Um, and had this been, had you heard of this happening, catalytic converter theft uh, immediately around you? Not immediately in that area, no. And especially also at that time of day, like it wasn't fully dark, nor was it light out. It was sort of that dusky area of the time of day. So I wasn't really expecting it. Because um, I know I have a couple of buddies that have lost their cats when they're either fishing on the vetter or actually parked at their houses. Wow. So it's, it's hitting close to home. It's getting even closer. I never thought it would actually happen to me, but lo and behold, the guy tried. Yeah, I got to say that when I first started hearing about the popularity of cat theft, I was thinking, okay, I mean, who's going to have the gall to get down on the ground like that and get underneath someone's car? Well, apparently a lot of people. So the RCMP suggests installing anti-theft devices. You mentioned you wrapped a little bit more metal around there. So Apparently, you can also get a converter lock or uh, a motion-sensitive dash cam. Are these things you would consider? Dash cam, uh, 100% I would recommend a dash cam for, of course, more than one reason. Um, and as far as the the deterrence or the um, things go for around the cat, I, to be honest, don't know how much they're going to help, considering if they have the tools to cut the cat, odds are they have the tools that cut metal, of course, which the catalytic converter or the pipes around it are made of, so are the locks. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I'm just reading right now that a catalytic converter theft gets uh, is getting some attention at the uh, Washington state lawmaker level right now because this oh. has become such an issue uh, with the, the metals and people trying to, to resell and that kind of thing. I've also heard you can adjust the car's security system to activate from vibrations that are produced by a saw. Are, is this something you would look into? That I, I that's first time me hearing of that, and that is something I probably would look into. I don't know if that's available for a vehicle of my age. We're talking about a twenty-one-year-old truck, yeah. But for newer vehicles, such as some of my family's vehicles, absolutely. Yeah, it seems like there are so many uh, costs associated with trying to proof your car now. Hey, yes, it's it's getting a little painful. Yeah, Mitch, thank you so much for t- talking to us about this today. You guys are very welcome. Have a great one. You too. Big space news is on the horizon for Canada, a launch that Michael Unger will join me to talk about. Unger is the program coordinator at the H.R. McMillan Space Centre in Vancouver. Good morning, Michael. Hey, Raji. Thanks for having me. We're so glad you'll join us uh, for this segment to explain to us what is this launch all about? 
Well, uh, if you remember back in the 1990s, uh, there was a little telescope called the Hubble Space Telescope that launched, and it revolutionized how astronomers view the universe. And it also um, changed the way that I think the public looks at space as well, because it gave us pictures, visuals of the universe. Um, you know, the universe is a big place, and when we use telescopes out here on Earth, it's really hard to see into space, really deep into space, because the universe is a pretty big place. So the James Webb Space Telescope is going to give us a new set of eyes, so to speak. It's going to be looking at the universe in infrared light, um, which is a bit different from the Hubble, which uses visible light. Uh, and it's really going to, it's just amazing. It's been a long time coming. Uh, it was originally going to be launched back in 2007, if you can believe it. Wow. There's been a lot of delays, but there's been a lot of budgets. There was almost canceled at one point, but the scientists really advocated for it because they knew that uh, they really needed this type of telescope to make some huge discoveries. So how much more impressive is it than the Hubble? So if you can imagine, you know, a picture of a of a galaxy um, from the Hubble Space Telescope. And, and what happens is that when you get that picture is that the Hubble Space Telescope is getting all of the visible light coming from all of the stars inside of that galaxy. Now, what the James Webb Space Telescope is going to do is that it's going to also point its telescope towards that galaxy, but instead of all the visible light, it's going to get all of the infrared light coming from the galaxy. So um, not only is there going is it going to uh, uh, look different, it's going to be shaped differently, but we're going to see sort of like inside of the galaxy more than we ever could before. You could Because when we're looking at visible light, you know, light obscures other light. We only get to see sort of like what's at the foreground. But if we can use infrared, we can kind of peer in and kind of like see what's inside of these galaxies. And one of the really neat things that we can really um, uh, learn more about are black holes, which of course don't give off light, but there's a lot going around um, the black hole that would be giving off a lot of heat that the James Webb Space Telescope will be able to peer inside. So black holes are just one thing that the James Webb will be um, certainly looking for. Wow. So so further into space um, and then I guess further into time, because won't, will we see <laughs> older galaxies? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's the, the other thing that's kind of wild when we look up at the stars is that all of those points of light are also, you know, light that came from time and also like far away. So you look at, say, like the North Star. So the North Star is, you know, um, uh, so many kilometers away. It's uh, uh, 400 light years away. Uh but, you know, that's the relatively nearby to us, right? There is galaxies that were formed at the very beginning of the universe that our best telescopes, including the Hubble, have just not been able to see. They're just so far away. So the James Webb will be able to uh, detect some of those early galaxies and give us, you know, more of those fundamental answers uh, that we've been searching for, like what happened near the beginning of the universe and what... Um, and, you know, what were some of the, the events that led us to the universe being shaped the way it is? Wow. Okay. You mentioned 2007 is when <laughs> the last launch was supposed to happen. And it didn't. Do, do we know why? Oh, there is, you know, so many th reasons. I mean, you know, part of the, the problem is that when you're 
building something um, that has never been built before. You know, there's not like an expert you can call like, hey, can you build a uh, infrared space telescope? Like, well, it's never been done before. So they, they build some things and they really don't want a repeat of what happened to Hubble. Now, it, it's kind of weird because I was in high school. It's going to date me and tell you how old I am. But I was in high school in the 90s. So I didn't really get a sense of like what was going on around what was happening when the Hubble Space Telescope was launched. Because when it did launch, it was a the most expensive um, a telescope or any project that NASA had ever launched. And then it didn't work. Like, can you believe it? Like, they launched it and they, they started using it and the Hubble Space Telescope didn't work. It was called a disaster. It was like a laughingstock. And NASA was already, you know, coming off the heels of the Challenger disaster. Yeah. It was really struggling as, you know, an organization. And so they needed to go back and fix it. So they sent astronauts into space to fix the Hubble Space Telescope um, because without it, you know, it, it would have been, you know, it could have spelled the end for NASA. So um, they don't want a repeat of this. Yeah. <laughs> this is a very expensive telescope and it needs to work. And it's going to a spot, actually. It's not going to be actually in orbit around the Earth. It's actually going to this spot called a Lagrange point, which is sort of um, halfway between the moon and the Earth. So once it gets there, you know, it's there's no hope for any astronauts to go there and fix it. So it needs to work right <laughs> so away. So it better work. <laughs> yeah. So they've just been, you know, doing lots of changes and lots of alterations. And of course, the budgets have gone up. And then the, there was a, um, a hurricane um, in Texas where it was built, and that caused a huge bunch of delays. Right. Um, the pandemic uh, caused a bunch of delays <laughs> as well. And then, of course, now it's sitting there in, um, in French Guinea about to be launched. And um, there has been a few things that have happened there that have delayed it so it's a it's a mission that's it's been very ornery um but uh you know maybe we just have to be patient uh to reveal what the universe wants to tell us <laughs> you mentioned <laughs> infrared that it's uh, able to detect infrared or that's the hope um mm -hmm. i'm so curious whether satellites will and lights from satellites will uh interfere with that yeah, so like I said, this point, uh, the Lagrange point, this is a really uh, interesting place to put a telescope because it's so far away from the Earth. So not only are those satellites not going to interfere at all, but the Earth is not really going to interfere. Uh, the Hubble Space Telescope is in orbit around the Earth, and every once in a while, the Earth's shadow will obscure it, and then the telescope if it was looking at something can't look at it anymore and it's got to wait for it to come around to the other side of the earth um so this spot that it's going to be in will be completely undisturbed you know by any other satellites um by the earth at all it's really going to be isolated uh in this lagrange point and sorry, sorry just one, one more thing because the other thing is that if you ever see a picture, and I uh, encourage people to look up a picture of the James Webb Space Telescope because it looks really cool. It kind of looks like a beehive. Yeah. Um, and what that is is actually a shield to regulate the temperature of this telescope because um, anytime you're in space, if the sun is hitting you, you're going to be really hot. Right. But the moment that you go out of the sun, you get extremely cold. There's huge temperature shifts. So that, um, that big beehive really regulates the temperature of the uh, of the telescope so that it can operate properly. Wow. I, I read that it's Canada's largest investment in space since mm. the Canada arms. So I don't know if you know anything about this, but how the heck do they get that funded? 
<laughs> well, you know, you, you can see that this is, um, there's been a lot of stories with Canada getting involved uh, in space. And this is something uh, that has been coming for many years. And and it starts with actually the Lunar Gateway Project, uh, which is humanity going back to the moon. And uh, the Lunar Gateway is going to be like the sequel to the International Space Station. So if James Webb is the sequel to the Hubble, Lunar Gateway is going to be the sequel to um, the International Space Station. And that is going to be, you know, a permanent settlement settlement on the moon. Um, and that's already starting to happen. China landed a rover there. Um, and over this next year, there's going to be um, another mission that Canada is going to send to the moon. And the Canada Space Agency really wanted to, um, you know, take this opportunity because it is an opportunity to invest in a whole bunch of new um, technologies um, that are going to be evolving over the next couple of years. And one of the main ones is artificial intelligence. Um, that is something that Canada has actually been specializing in a lot um, is the development of these technologies. So the Lunar Gateway doesn't always need to have human operators living there. They can have autonomous systems that can do things and check things and change things and 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 uh, go to places without actually humans being there um, because you know living full time in the moon may be difficult <laughs> um, so we always need to have these AI systems and Canada's put a large investment in that that was something that happened you know several years ago and with the James Webb Space Telescope it's really an investment in our scientists you put money into the development of this telescope you partner with NASA you you become a good Good, um, you know, you have a good working relationship with NASA, and then they give us opportunities, um, like give our scientists time to use the space telescope to make some of these discoveries. And so, the next big discovery that James Webb um, makes may be made by Canadian scientists, and so that just like comes back and is a huge benefit um, to everyone, our universities, to the young kids that want to get into science, get into space. They want to stay here in Canada and work, um, and then of course that just trickles down to um, benefit all of us and our economy. So interesting, Michael. I've got one quick uh, question for yes. you here also on on the dates around launching or not launching of uh, <laughs> <laughs> the James Webb Space Telescope. Yeah. So um, currently, uh, I mean, I'm not holding my breath this this is going to be like in stone, but currently it's, it's scheduled for uh, December the 22nd. Um, and that's when it's going to launch. It'll take about a month for James Webb to get into that Lagrange point that I said. And then over the course of time, it's going to do a bunch of tests. And then maybe in about six months, we might just start to see some science data. Um, but, you know, there's always going to be delays. But uh, for now, uh, December 22nd is the launch uh, from French Guinea. So interesting. Thank you, Michael, for being with us this morning. Thanks for having me, Roger. Thanks for listening to the Weekend Mornings with Raji Sohal podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And you can listen to the show live on 980 CKNW from 6 to 9 a.m. every Sunday. Have a great week.